Welcome to Air Brooklyn. This is Ben Piven. Today we're talking about something quite interesting you may know lots about, may not have been exposed to so much. We're looking into African Americans' history, heritage, and genetic genealogy ancestry research. We'll be talking with some interesting folks, mainly Cheryl Huggins Solomon, who has spent a lot of time looking into her own history as well as the history of lots of other people. Let's just uh, rewind here. I'll do a little introduction. Amidst unprecedented popular interest in genetic genealogy, many Americans are learning surprising details of their origins. And with over a million of us having decided to check out commercially available kits that sequence our genes, a Pandora's box has opened up uh, to our collective evolution and ancestral origins. For many black folks, this legacy is especially intriguing, if painful, because of the legacy that slavery hath wrought of confusion and ambiguity. Many African Americans aren't quite sure about a variety of historical details that many others might take for granted. And as a result of the slave trade, one thing is that it is hard to know when exactly one's forebears arrived on these shores, uh, and others how much African, European, and Native American DNA has contributed to one's heritage. For many, as Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates on the show Finding Your Roots, the surprise is in finding more white ancestry than expected, and perhaps less Indian blood. But in today's increasingly diverse United States, one of the questions that intrigues people of African descent is where exactly on the continent their ancestors lived. And for those whose lineage traces back to slaves brought forcibly to this country, the usual answer is somewhere in West Africa. There's another region in Africa that did in fact contribute to the early peopling of North America. History tells us that 20-some percent of African slaves brought to this country from Africa actually have roots in Central Africa as opposed to West Africa. The area around Angola and the Congo saw tens of thousands shipped out to Virginia, Louisiana, and South Carolina. The site of a huge slave rebellion, after which no more slaves were then brought to the Charleston area. From that part of Africa, Angola, and the Congo, and that was known as the Stono Rebellion. In addition, you've got Angola Prison in Louisiana, which is named after early arrivals who came from that part of Africa. And then it is said that the first slave arrivals to Virginia, in addition, were also from the area around Angola. So let's get started here. My background on the issue is I'm not a genealogist. I am an editor of a genealogy column on the route called Tracing Your Roots that's written by Professor Henry Louis Gates, Jr. So someone who's interested in genealogy because through my own personal journey. Um, just what you're talking about, I had good resources, the Transatlantic Slave Trade Database. I believe one of the um, founders of that is David Eltis. But people who are interested in understanding where slaves were brought in to the United States and to the Americas can take a look at that. And they can actually look at, it's a database of 
many of the actual voyagers. Voyages. West Africa, my understanding is, is the lion's share of um, where people came from who ended up in the United States, but Central Africa, even Madagascar, <laughs> believe it or not, which is more east in Africa, was a place where people came from. Sadly, a lot of most African Americans had, until recently, have been completely cut off uh, from knowing where those origins are until the advent of um, DNA testing that could look at your uh, ethnic origins. Although, if you look at any of the tests, and I, you know, I've had my own tests done, for most people, you're going to get they can identify some specific countries where they think your ancestors are from, but a lot of times they can only pinpoint the region. So for many of us, that's just lost. <laughs> I really won't know unless there are some people who go through family traditions, through oral family traditions, can maybe can pinpoint some rituals or traditions that they had that might be traced back to a certain area. But for the most part, that's kind of lost to history. So that uh, that's interesting about uh, Central Africa. I wish that most African Americans knew that much uh, about their heritage um, and would be able to have a perspective of West Africa versus Central Africa or Southern Africa. Um, but I'm not sure it's still at that level for most people. For most people, they really don't know much about well, I'm basing this on the types of questions that people will write in to the column that I edit. Most of them are just trying to pierce the document trail, veil, or, or barrier of 1870. And that was the first time in the U.S. Census that African Americans were named <laughs> in the census before that. A limited amount who were free before the end of the Civil War were named but the vast majority were not. They were listed, if at all, under slave schedules as property and identified by check marks, you know, in terms of how many there were, but not at all by their own identities, not by name, certainly. So you're saying that 1870 was the first time that there was a proper effort made to actually list the names addresses, date of birth, etc. of most African Americans because they were no longer considered property, they were actually considered citizens. So the census always recorded citizens. But if you weren't considered a citizen, <laughs> you you know, research of many African Americans, if you want to go and trace your ancestry before eighteen seventy, a lot of times you are looking at wills and probate documents of white people who owned slaves and they may have listed their quote-unquote property in their will or in a probate document or if they were selling their assets. <laughs> That's kind of before 1870 for a lot of people the way that their ancestors can be traced. Generally for African Americans because the estimates vary depending on the genealogy um, testing service, but somewhere between, most African Americans are somewhere between 65 and 75 percent af Sub-Saharan African, somewhere around 20 percent to 25 percent European. 
and the rest can be Native American uh, or other, for instance, in the case of my family, there's um, East Asian. African Americans can trace their European ancestors, but it's harder to trace their, Afri their African American ancestors. This was something that I found very fascinating um, that oftentimes, at least going by what Henry Louis Gates seems to have discovered, that there's a lower rate of Indian Native American heritage than many African Americans assume, and often a higher percentage of European origin than people necessarily realize. My, certainly a lot of people write in asking questions about Native American heritage. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost the most common question that I see huh. people asking. Now, this is my personal view. I wonder if that is only an African American thing or if that is an American thing, this sort of romanticization of, of Native American ancestry while at the same time people who currently have Native American identity might be marginalized. I wonder about that because I do hear people who are American but not black also talking about, oh yeah, I have a Native American ancestor. I don't know the, the research that has been done to that and whether or not there's something similar there, but for African Americans very often, I mean, so this happened in my own family. <laughs> My supposed Native American ancestor was named Grandma Jean, and there's a picture of her that's been passed down. It's a picture of her from the 19th century. Wow. And you see her, she's a rather severe-looking woman with her hair parted down the middle. You can tell she's elderly at the time. She's the grandmother of, a, like, a great-great-grandmother of mine or something like that. Supposedly she lived on a plantation and she was Native American, that's been the lore that's been passed down. So recently I had a DNA test on mm -hmm. 23andMe, came back that I am less than 1% Native American, <laughs> which sounded kind of odd. My understanding is that sometimes, because I do have Asian ancestry, that sometimes Asian ancestry and Native American ancestry can read similarly. but. When I did the math, knowing who my Asian ancestor was, there wasn't really anything left over. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they said less than 1%, and so my mother was like, well, that can't be the case, and so she was tested. Came in at around 1%, and again, she was confused. Because this is a closer ancestor for her. I was fortunate because of the line of work I'm in that um, I was able to have a genetic genealogist take a look at my results. She came back and said, you might have some Native American ancestry, but I don't think your Grandma Jane was Native American. The best guess was that she had a Native American ancestor, that she was uh, um, European. She was white with a Native American ancestor. Fascinating. And it's interesting because the picture that had been passed down, I mean, when I looked at the picture, it's one of those things that you've been told that she's Native American and look at her high cheekbones and this and that. And I looked at first, didn't look like she had high cheekbones to me. And everyone else that, it, that I showed the picture to, so well, she looks like an older white lady. I think that's the case that she was a white woman working on a plantation that 
had a Native American ancestor and that somehow that got passed down in lore and she became Native American. <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the idea of Grandma Jane was part of, you know, on my mother's side, sort of the family identity. Her son was the head of a household that had, I think, an affair, perhaps, with a great-great or great, yeah, great-great or great-great-great-grandmother of mine. But his social identity was white. So, <laughs> Right. What I find interesting about all this is that I've learned a lot. Um, the more I've learned about my own heritage, the more I understand. It's interesting, it's fascinating, but you really, I think most people are shaped by the people who raised them. Family myths created around, you know, their bringing, and that's what shapes their identity, not really those folks that were are part of their genetic makeup, frankly, or what they were doing, who they were. This sort of mythology gets passed down in order to potentially create a greater sense of rootedness here that if you're Native American then you have more of a sort of long-standing feeling of being from America. Perhaps there is some aspect of freedom to that that Native Americans roamed the wilderness, that they were out there and, and not... Well, there's this myth yeah. that, that they were free, but when you look at history and you look at all the way from um, the Indian Removal Act, um, uh, so when you start you know, getting into like the 1820s, 1830s, 1840s, and you look at the way that they were essentially forced out of the um, American East and into the West, you know, the Cherokee Trail of Tears, that's a death march of more than a thousand miles um, where they were relocated in Oklahoma and you've got uh, what they call the five civilized tribes that were relocated in Oklahoma during the middle of the 19th century called civilized and I put that in air quotes for a number of reasons but my understanding is one of the reasons was because those nations had their own slaves. <laughs> there are African Americans with Native American identity that comes actually either from having Native American ancestors or their ancestors were attached to a particular nation. Right? So just like I might be African American, they were African Cherokee. Regardless of what their genome was, they were part of that nation. African Seminole, African Christian, right, right. right. Um, generally, those folks who are have roots out west or in the Midwest, for the most part. My family's from the east, you know, and so my understanding of things is that, to the extent that there was any mixing, that that was something that was more like. 17th, 18th century as opposed to anything closer to where we are now, like the 19th century. Right now I'd like to play some tape of recording I did earlier with some Brooklynites who do have a really mixed heritage. Hi, I'm Karana and I live in Canarsie, Brooklyn. Hi, I'm Junior and I live in Canarsie. Are you guys interested in the topic of ancestry, where your peoples come from originally? What does that mean to you? That means everything. It, it defines who we are as a people, psychologically, physically, mentally, of course. Um, 
everyone is entitled to practice and acknowledge their own culture. Um, you know, unfortunately, due to the events of history, um, there there were certain races that were kind of stripped away of you know their culture and kind of put on by something else, you know, another culture, an oppressing culture, and um, because of that, they have lost you know their traces, their roots, and feel like they have no place and. It definitely has a cause and effect kind of thing going on because it affects these people mentally because it's like they're made to be in certain environments. In in terms of the specifics, uh, your families are from New York, but before that, do you, like where did they come from? Do you know? Okay, so for me, it's uh, Martinique and West Indies, fresh West Indies. So both parents. My father is from Puerto Rico. Well, he's born in the Bronx, but his mother's from Puerto Rico. His father's from Puerto Rico. Mother was born in Grenada, so I'm half Puerto Rican, half Black, you know, African. That's how that works. And in terms of the African origin, there, do you have any idea, like, which places, parts of Africa, you know, specifically? It's well, it's like well, we know like how the slave yeah. trade worked and where, yeah. you know, which islands that they were taken to, which part of the America, certain parts of Africa, whether it's Central, South, yeah. you know, wherever. Um, for the Caribbean, it was a lot of um, West Africans, mm -hmm. um, a lot of, and some from Ghana, and some Central, yeah. but mostly from the West. Mm -hmm. And that goes for Latin America, and that goes for the British and the French West Indies as well. Brazil, um, too. The Brazil, Brazil, South America, yeah. oh yeah, oh, all that. Yeah. Um, and that has an influence on the cultures and even something simple like the drums, like salsa, you know, and salsa is like, they see, they, people hear it as like, oh, it's like Spanish music, like jumping, dancing crazy, but like, that's like raw African-oriented music, which was brought from the slaves, like, you hear a drum in every song. So your assumption that would be the part of your heritage that's African is, is pretty much all from West Africa? Yeah. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would imagine so. Yeah. I was told um, that my grandmother on my on my mother's side, which is from Grenada, I was told that her father was from Ghana, but I never really got confirmation about that. But um, you know, as far as my dad, Puerto Ricans are all mixed up. Right. Right. My dad, like his colors, colors like you, you know, yeah. even lighter. Like you know, he's very mixed. My family, my Puerto Rican side, like they have like red hair and freckles and stuff like that. Like it's like they're very mixed, but. The African is there. Would you be interested to find out if you could which specific oh, yeah. parts of Africa? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah definitely. 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 That's something you know we we have spoken about. Like we definitely want to get like more information, like more detailed information. Yeah. Things, you know? yeah. So is that a question of effort, or is it a question of setting aside a little bit of money, doing the research? Yeah, the research. yeah. it's more of the side of setting aside the money yeah. for the resources to do the, research, the proper research. Right. You can go anywhere, Ancestry.com. I mean, people say it's good. I mean, I've tried it. I was told that I have Lebanese blood. Remember that? that was um oh well that, was that, well that was it was something on the internet. That was something that was not yeah, accurate was at all. It's <laughs> one of those like oh, yeah. Facebook things. No, it well, was whatever. <laughs> but, I, I put in the information. And right. I told right, right. Yeah, okay. You never know. They didn't take your DNA though. No. Would that change your perceptions if you were to find out? Oh, some of my African family came from Angola or the Congo or Zambia or you know how would that change your sense of self um it wouldn't because I mean I just accept you know all of 
Africa, you know, all of that part of the, you know, that continent as me, you know, and it lives in me. People traveled, who knows, my ancestors could have started in Egypt and migrated like 2,000, 3,000 years ago, came down to West, like, mm -hmm. you never really know, but I just acknowledge that as a universal, you know, place where you know, things came from. And in terms of non-African heritage, obviously Puerto Rican, you got mixed Spanish, you got mixed Native. Right, um, right, right. But as far as Grenada, Martinique, you know, do you assume that there's some European in there, that there's some East Indian? I mean, do you assume that you're, you know, not 100% of African origin on that side, that there's always some, like, what's your perception of, oh, if you, if you, if it turns out that you're 20% of European origin, does that change... You know, if that's what the test were to tell you, how would you feel about that? Um, <laughs> well, um, we acknowledge and accept all of our ancestry. Me, for one, it's evident there's European blood. My family, if you see them, you'll, I mean, they, they look European. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And then they don't you have, have like the native look right. or like the right. Um, I mean, the native look is very see the faint, it's faint, faint yeah. the indigenous, not the East Indian, because people get it confused. There's the East, and then there's the indigenous, the yeah. Taino. You had the Arawak, you mm -hmm. had the Caribs, mm -hmm. whatever. But you know, and a lot of Hispanics have native in them, and they call them mestizo when you're mestizo, white yeah. and yeah. native. And you can see it evident. You know, you'll see a person in the street, they may look white, but you'll just be like, they look Spanish. Something about them tells yeah. me they're like Hispanic. And it's that native touch, you know yeah. what I mean? But as far as, you know, we're concerned, like, we, we accept all our heritage. You know, we just love everything, you know. We yeah. just embrace. I mean, I don't hate, you know, I can't say I hate anything because it's who I am. It's like saying I hate myself. Right. But I can say that, you know, it was unfortunate of what happened in history, you know, and it's messed up, but what can I do now? You know what I mean? Like, who am I mad at at this point? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and it also makes us who we are, you know, like all, all the mixes, everything. It's yeah. just, it's good that it happened because we're here, you know, like, so. I always find it interesting that culturally in the U.S., we have a very binary way of looking at white or black yeah. and also Hispanic, but... You know, Brazil, for example, there's a term for somebody who has, like, medium complexion and straight hair, or someone with, like, super yeah. dark skin, but yeah. then straight hair, whatever it is, like, yeah. whereas in the U.S., it's kind of like, yeah, there's some allowance for, oh, this person's light skin and that person's dark right, skin, but right. we don't really have, it's either, like, a black or not, it's, like, yeah. a white or not, right. and I find that's a very, like, absolute way oh, of looking yeah. at, you know... But, yeah, I'm just trying to get a sense for the way you conceptualize your identity. Like, obviously, your mixture. This is all part of who I am, and, like, I don't deny it. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, right. Shit. My last name is Cardona. You know, yeah. that's Spanish. That's, you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Except who right. you are. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so. Do you think you're going to find out that you don't really know right. like maybe it would just verify things as you already yeah. assume verify right, right. that's it yeah, yeah but yeah, if you kind of mostly understand and like but but you never know you might exactly. be surprised you don't exactly. know right. exactly. until you take it like right know. yeah that's true but there are different tests that tell you different things you know it's like some are more about connecting you to family some are yeah. more about doing research others are more this like ethnicity estimate mm -hmm. thing so it all depends on what you're the haplogroup of my mitochondrial DNA comes from L0, 
a one. And that half the group um, originates in southern and southern eastern uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, closer to what was traditionally known as the Cradle of Civilization. But that is not the same as looking at your autosomal DNA, which looks more, my understanding, at what your ancestry is over the past couple hundred years, or a few hundred years, right? For women, it's a, a mitochondrial. It's passed down from mother to daughter in an unbroken chain throughout the generations. Sometimes it's tied to what your race is, but sometimes it isn't always. There are plenty of African Americans who, for them, it's European. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not African like mine. So you can have a white person who has that. Right. A white woman who could have the same signature that I have. Obviously it's affected by where your ancestors came from and how they came here, but it isn't necessarily an indication of what your race is. Mm -hmm. In, in terms of that mtDNA that you carry, my understanding is that that particular um, haplogroup is most common in East Africa around Mozambique, mm -hmm. I believe also Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. um, so maybe it's possible that your maternal line at some point they migrated from there to points further west and north. Possibly, but you know, my maternal line... Um, like with anyone, you're descended from so many lines. <laughs> um, one of the things that I find interesting is that if you ever do like DNA cousin matching, you know, look at your DNA cousins, like if you've taken a DNA test, and if you're done it from a service that's big enough, like 23andMeAncestry.com, uh, Family Tree DNA, then you see that you have like six cousins, say from all over the world, <laughs> literally all over the planet. Um, someone like myself who is from the, the African-Americans, Latinos, you know, folks here who are essentially creations of the new world. It's just amazing because for so many people they don't know anything about their heritage. We always hear about people talking about, oh, I'm descended from whatever the great, but if you do the math, so are millions of other people and you may not actually have any of that person's DNA. Right. <laughs> it's just something that happened in mm. history that affected the line that led down to you. So it's interesting where it's all very meaningful because of the meaning that you attach to it, but it can also be very meaningless. So, I mean, in terms of feeling more meaning in, in sort of black experience, black identity, do you think the DNA test can help African Americans feel that sense of, okay, now I'm more grounded in who I really am? Absolutely, absolutely. Because most African Americans know so little, just even having a test that says, okay, you're this percentage this, you're that percentage that, for a lot of people is a lot more information than they had before. Knowing what parts of Africa, um, I think sparked the imagination. It's very difficult then to go back and sometimes people will say, I've got a DNA test that says that 20% of my ancestors are from Nigeria. I want to know where in Nigeria. And most of the time you can't, there's no way of tracing that. <laughs> but I think it, to the extent that it helps root them in any sense of identity, uh, I think it's, it's very important. Is that understood to be reliable scientifically? I'm not sure how to define reliable. I will say that if you 
had a DNA test, for instance, through 23andMe, and you go back and you check your test over time, you will see some of those percentages fluctuate a little bit. They get better as more people go into their databases. There have been pushes, pushes by different testing services to get more people of African ancestry into their databases, which help them improve the results that you get in a test. I'm going to assume that that process will continue. Uh, the more and more people that join from different parts of the world, the easier it will be to pinpoint some things that right now may not be easy to pinpoint. And also you got to keep in mind, okay, saying you're from Chad, well, just as the United States has a dynamic history, so did all of those countries. Humans have been migrating since the beginning of time. So <laughs> you can only get but so specific. Most white folks who are in the United States, there's a lot more knowledge passed down understanding of, okay, you know, this side came from Slovakia, that side came from Sweden, or... Yeah, records. You know, right. And the process was done by choice, and, and it was a very different sort of, okay, we're going to pick up our stuff and go here, as opposed to we are in chains and don't have much of a choice. And you might have been a prisoner of war anyway before you left mm. uh, Africa. So mm. that's the other thing in terms of the way that, you know, people were brought over here, the, the folks that were sold. Mm. Sometimes they were prisoners of war, so they may have come from somewhere else. So just because they came through a particular country doesn't mean mm. necessarily that they were from there. Right, and so that's where my thinking is that the amount of potential surprise is greater for those folks whose background is more shrouded in mystery with fewer records, fewer documentation, more mm -hmm. ambiguity about your ethnic mix, about place of origin. And so that's why I think the burden of science to reveal the truth is even higher for folks who, if there is a paper trail already, and mm -hmm. if you do have some grounding in, okay, we are fairly certain that our folks come from this place and that place, whereas if all of that stuff has been erased as a result of, of the slave trade, the dignity of knowing knowing their origins, the, the burden of the science is that much higher and, and you want it to be that much more reliable because you're lacking in any other sources of information about the past. I do sense that there is frustration sometimes when people get back their DNA results if they are African descended that they want to know more and it's hard to find out more in a lot of cases. You know, even if someone pinpoints a region, there's nowhere they're going to pinpoint, say, the ancestral village. That's something that has to be done, if it can be done at all, through document search, searches, but a lot of times you can't. It's easier for African Americans who are middle or upper middle class because Privilege, as in with any group, tends to get passed down <laughs> through the generation. So someone who is, say, upper middle class is more likely to have been descended by somebody who was free, who then had a paper trail. <laughs> so sometimes we have people who do write in, and they can they are African descendant, and yet they can trace, you know, oh, my ancestor. I'll give you an example. Um, we've had um, a few people write in because the British offered opportunities for freedom and relocation to other colonies for African Americans who would leave plantations and fight. 
So you have um, American-descended populations in places like Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right? They're actually called Americans. Wow. I had no idea about that. I'm not descended from them, but okay. I find that even though my father's family is from Trinidad, but I find that this is very interesting to me. Speaking of Caribbean, let's go to a clip that I recorded a little bit ago from someone else who has roots in the Caribbean. My name is Fabiana and I live near Ditmas Park in Brooklyn. Been in Brooklyn for over 10 years now. I haven't done any research, but um, I'm originally from Haiti. So I don't know if DNA testing would be able to, you know, if it's focusing mostly in African Americans or if it's um, worldwide. So, but I haven't really looked into it as to where exactly in Africa my ancestors originated. If you had to guess, where would you um, Based on what I've heard, I heard that we, most Haitians, originated from, it's either Ghana or Nigeria. And do you want to find out more? Are you curious? I'm curious. I have not dedicated the time and effort to do it, but yeah, definitely I'm curious to find out. What would it mean to you? Would it provide more meaning? Would it give you a better sense of identity? Definitely in the sense that, you know, I will have a more of a connection with Africa and I'm definitely, I definitely would like to visit certain places there. So I think that would encourage me to do so. So it would definitely give me a sense of why of identity with African. Do you think you might be surprised that you'd find out something weird? Maybe 30% of your ancestry comes from the Congo or 30% of your ancestry comes from Ireland or, you know? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. No, I don't think I would be that much surprised because I think, I mean, there's probably a small portion in my um, background that have ventured from other places, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's mostly focused on those two areas West that Africa. I mentioned. Right. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be weird if you found out you had a little bit French, you had a little bit, you know, something No, like. not at all, because, you know, Haiti was inhabited by French we had French and then you had right and then you have Spaniards as well so I would not be surprised at all if mm. had a little mixture in there right. yeah okay cool now back to Cheryl your mother's family has a rather typical African-American experience having been in this country for hundreds of years you said now, tell us a little bit more about your father's side from the Caribbean. <laughs> My father's side of the family um, uh, immigrated from Trinidad around the teens and the 20s. Um, my grandmother and grandfather both were immigrants, naturalized American citizens. While people are Afro-Caribbean have if you go back far enough, it's a similar um, ancestral experience, still brought from Africa, brought to the New World, mixed with people who were there, mixed with Europeans, and um, but still had that similar experience. But then, on my father's side, they also had the American immigrant experience. So the interesting thing that I found was first time I ever went to Ellis Island, I had a sense, like a lot of African Americans do, that, you know, this is sort of 
experience that's just so important elevated in the American consciousness is, you know, a rite of passage, but this has nothing to do with me. Right, right. Because my grandmother and grandfather never told me they came through Ellis Island. They did what I think a lot of immigrant families did during the 20th century. Once I get here, I'm remaking myself. <laughs> you know, I, I find when I talk to people, even um, white Americans with immigrant ancestors, you hear a similar story that their grandparents didn't tell them. <laughs> Go through the quarantine room ships that they came in, you know, and what that experience was like. They just don't talk about it. <laughs> I found out from doing document search. I, I guess I was Googling and I saw either my grandmother or my grandfather, I can't remember which, Ellis Island Records and seeing a lot of my relatives. And, <laughs> and they were all from Trinidad? Mm-hmm. 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 In the 20s, they, they came here from... Teens and 20s. In the case of my grandmother, my father and his sister were born here, I think in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, but my grandmother took them back to Trinidad and raised them there, and so the family was apart for many years, and then it was reunited around uh, early 50s. There's certainly a lot of Caribbean heritage in, in Brooklyn. Most <laughs> folks you meet probably have something Caribbean going on. The fact that I even live in Brooklyn is more happenstance than anything else. Uh, I'm not here because of... I found out about those that ancestral connection to Brooklyn after the fact, <laughs> after I was already here. So um, I found out about Ellis Island just a few years ago. It was a special performance of Ragtime. I think it was about a year or so ago that was done on Ellis Island. Mm. And the whole experience was very moving for me. That's a privilege to be able to tie yourself to an experience that your ancestors had that's concrete for you that you can see. A lot of African Americans just don't necessarily have. Um, I mean, you have people who during the Great Migration, if you're familiar with the Great Migration, within the United States, from the South to the North right. to the Midwest, yeah, you have a lot of people whose parents and grandparents left the South. It started uh, around the turn of the 20th century, but extended all the way up into the 40s, I think, 40s or 50s, something like that. Yeah. So. Right, that's the sort of fascinating aspect of the black American experience is that even for most folks who live in big cities in the Northeast and the Midwest and the West Coast, their families have only been there for one, two, maybe three generations before that they were down south. Mm -hmm. And so that, that creates this sort of, there are many steps of this journey and so yeah. if you want to trace your stories back, you're going to be visiting a number of different places. A number of different yeah. places. And the other thing that I found is that, and this is not just true of African Americans, I think this is true of anyone, the things that you don't know about your heritage, sometimes it's because they were intentionally forgotten. So in some cases you are digging into things that you weren't supposed to know or that someone felt would be better to spare you from knowing. I think in 
genealogy um, research in general, you uncover a lot of intentional forgetting. Do you feel that you have this sort of luxury of the Ellis Island experience that was... Obviously there's that willful migration there, but then previously at some point many of those ancestors were brought to the Caribbean as, as slaves, so it's sort of this... I don't think of it as a luxury. I think of it as an unexpected connection to the traditional, stereotypical American immigrant experience. I knew I came from an immigrant family, but I didn't, I don't know, I just didn't think about it in that way. Do you think that within your family, anyone else is so concerned with understanding the past and putting these stories together, and, and do you find that you're... Some are, some are, some are not. I have reconnected with distant cousins on Facebook that are in different countries. Um, For example, which... Germany, just a branch of the family that, you know, a lot of people left the Caribbean during the 20th century and emigrated to other countries like the United States, Canada, Great Britain, um, and in Germany. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I don't think that that was the biggest, that was as big route, but yeah. So, I mean, I have distant relatives in all of those places. As I did digging, I found that there were some relatives who I realized knew the answers that I had already uncovered. <laughs> and it's like, well, why didn't you just tell me? Right. But there's, there's there are reasons for that sort of uh, thing. Um, I think this is a, a good time, uh, the 21st century. Um, I think. I think society is ready for a lot of these reconnections in a way that I don't think people were in the 20th century because it was all about assimilation and it was all about protecting whatever status you wanted in society. I don't know that some of my distant relatives, how welcoming they might have been if these reconnections were happening in a different time, but I think they're just more open to the experience now. You know, the younger generations feel that it's time to get a sense for history in the past, whether assimilation as such is not really the name of the game these days. To what exactly do you sort of attribute that? I think in the United States there's sort of been a deconstruction of the American identity. You know, I can think of people even when I went to college, people who de-emphasized whatever ethnic heritage they had, and then, you know, finding out later in subsequent years, oh, this person is Hispanic, oh, this person is Jewish, oh, this person is, you know, and not, I, I think in general, I just think the 20th century was a century, it was the melting pot century, and I'm not saying the melting pot was successful, but that was generally the approach, the orientation, the goal of people in the United States. Um, obviously for African Americans, that was not something that could happen. You need another, mm -hmm. and African Americans are it, so mm. there are limits to that melting pot. But I think the impulse to assimilate as much as you can was something that was very strong in the 20th century, and it, and it, it isn't now. People are more into mining their own individual identities and finding out what that is. Right, this sort of individual identity politics is the way people Politics or just culture, depending just on the culture. person. Yeah, right. 
these DNA tests are certainly en vogue now, and I don't know if that sort of follows that interest in... I mean, it's sort of unclear whether, you know, the evolution of the technology is taking place in addition to the sort of individual exploration of one's cultural and sort of ethnic background. And I guess it's a combination of those things, as well as the advertising by those companies to get their tests out there. Um, two years ago, you never saw these ads all over the place mm -hmm. for it. I think for most people, it's like you take the test, you look, and unless there are any like real surprises, you just kind of say, huh, okay, that's interesting. You know, oh, I thought the percentages might be a little different. I know that was the case with me. I thought I had more African ancestry. I thought I had Native American ancestry and found out I had more European than expected, less African, and probably no Native American ancestry or very little. <laughs> you know, so that was interesting. Doesn't really change who I am, though. <laughs> I personally don't plan to keep taking DNA tests. Uh, I look at about, you know, once a year and see, you know, how they may have adjusted my percentages or what have you, if they've come up with something new, if a new DNA relative is trying to reach me. You know, at this point for me, I'm more interested in document search, uh, especially, well, on both sides of the family. Um, my mother's side of the family was tough to trace for a long time until uh, it got a little easier as I got to know more and realized that, for instance, with census records, people went by very different names. Like, the same person might be in a different census under, in some cases, their middle name, in some cases, their first name, in some cases, whatever the census taker thought they heard and they didn't hear it right. Um, the index records uh, sometimes are different than the original records, and if you're not looking at the original record, you realize the person who transcribed it didn't know it, you couldn't read what they were seeing. On my father's side as well, now, what was happening in Trinidad? I know lore, I know legends, but not that much, you know, in terms of having records, so. I personally am more interested in the record search in my family now than I am now that I've had a DNA test. My sister had a DNA test. I thought it was interesting that our percentages are slightly different, but within the margin of error for what we know about our family based on the record search. So my test came back, I'm 11% Asian. 11% is a weird percentage, right? Hers came back 13%. I mean, this is just my layman right. understanding of things, but I'm, I'm just willing to split the difference and say we know that we had a Chinese great-grandfather, so roughly. And that's what I'm talking about, how things become more accurate over time. Who knows? Maybe those percentages, her percentages will change and mine will change, but it won't change what actually happened. Mm -hmm. And I knew who that person was, and I have pictures of him. I have the family Bible and everything, and so that's where I say, you know, the records. And having his Bible was something... He was a merchant in um, Trinidad that had immigrated from China. At one point had gone to, I think it was, he was educated by missionaries, they took him to Canada, and then he came back to the Caribbean, 
And he was written about because apparently he'd impressed the missionaries. So they wrote about him in their like journals and what have you. And so even if you do a Google search, he comes up. That Bible, I was looking through it and I saw these sketches that he had done, like botany sketches, because he had um, a plantation. I don't mean in the sense of like a slavery plantation, but he had a plantation. He wrote, you know, and botany was of interest to him, you know. So you see these sketches with these Latin names and what have you, and like stuff like that. That's the stuff that I mm. think now, for me, is more fascinating necessarily than the DNA, <laughs> right? Right. And so, do you find that the technology nowadays makes it that much easier to come across this information on your great grandfather? Google was like the, but the see, the interesting thing is the technology that is really more important than any of the rest of it is search engines. It's amazing the idiosyncrasies that you have that you share that journey, different parts of that journey with so many different people, mm -hmm. and it's just fun to see during the course of of your life which parts of your family you identify with based on new things you found out about where they lived or what somebody did, some crazy things, some amazing things. So that, but that's the point of it. I mean, most of us, um, to the extent that we have a sense of identity derived from our family, it's not derived from the total some parts of our genome. It's derived from specific people, right? Either people that raised us who were very close to us or a particular ancestor who had an interesting story that therefore makes me feel more inspired or more of a sense of myself even if I don't have much of that ancestor's DNA. There is so much nurture that can override Absolutely. nature. What does that really mean? <laughs> Phenotype can be deceptive anyhow. It can be, yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly that's the case in the African American community because it varies so wildly within families. Light skin, dark skin. Yeah. Bigger nose, smaller nose, whatever it is. It yeah. Hair, you know. texture, you know. It all changed. Yeah, it's all different within one family, and yet everyone is equally related. <laughs> Thank you so much once again, Cheryl Huggins Solomon. Really fascinating discussion about family history, documents, research, genetic genealogy, DNA testing as well uh, Fabiana and Karana Jr. We appreciate your insights on this topic. Join us next time on Air Brooklyn. We'll be talking about the New York City subway system and its woes. Air Brooklyn Ben Piven. Be sure to uh, visit us on iTunes as well as SoundCloud. That's all for now. Over and out. Ciao, ciao.